Hey, I'm excited to be back with you as we continue a four-week teaching series on Paul when mess meets mercy. If you've been here, the first week we talked about the conversion of Paul. Acts chapter 9, this guy that was overseeing the killing of Christians, that was imprisoning Christians for their faith, a religious zealot and terrorist in his time, encounters Jesus, radically changes his life. It becomes the new creation that we often talk about. The old is gone, the new has come. Then last week, didn't uh, Ben and Greg just do a phenomenal job talking about our calling and how to live and make an impact? And, uh, you know, so we got to see that Paul, the, the Paul was called to the Gentiles and those far from God. This, this week, we're going to look at then the long-term spiritual growth, how you become the person God desires you to be. It's really the messy part of this whole series, dealing with real-life stuff. And if you're here today and you've got pain and trauma from your past, if you're here today and you've made some choices both uh, before you were a Christian or even after you were a Christian and you don't know how to deal with it, this day is for you. If you're here today and in the last two years you have begun to plateau in your faith a little bit and not seeing the impact that you would like to see, uh, this day is for you. Will you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to look at the letter to the church in Galatia that Paul writes. As you're turning to Galatians chapter 1, I want to tell you, you know, uh, have you ever heard of uh, like someone who's a flash in the pan? Th this morning, it's really about not desiring to be a flash in the pan Christian. I had to like Google because I always thought that term meant something to do with cooking. It doesn't. It has this 17th century term about muskets not firing. That's your history lesson for this morning. Hey, aren't you glad you have that information? But I, I realize like that term has been around for hundreds of years to de describe someone who is not doing what they were supposed to do. And I think in American Christianity, you can find a lot of people who know Jesus, even have salvation, but aren't living the way that God wants them to live. Amen? Myself included. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian uh, over two decades now, and there are still moments that I am failing and feel like, how in the world did I fall prey to the enemy's tactics again? We are in a spiritual battle over the souls of human beings, and we find ourselves in greater need of the Lord than ever before. And the Apostle Paul had had a radical life change. And you get to track how he becomes the one who goes and does three missionary journeys around the Roman Empire, writes 40% of the New Testament, plants 14 churches, and, and writes all of these letters to them. But we often forget what he was coming out of and the long-term transformation that happened in Paul's life. And that's what I want to look at together. You ready to study God's Word, church? Come on now. It says, I'm going to move quick this morning. In verse 18, it says of Galatians 1, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and got acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. What a weird sentence. Here's, here's what that means. First of all, Cephas is Peter. Covered that, right? Peter, the apostle, one of the first uh, 12 disciples. He's a leader in the early church. And Paul goes to talk to him after three years. Three years after he became a Christian, and for the very first time, he's returning to Jerusalem. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Here's the guy that imprisoned your family, and he's coming back. Here's the guy that was there in Acts 7 and oversaw Acts 8-1, 
approved of the stoning, the murder of Stephen. Here was this guy that every Christian, every follower of Jesus in Jerusalem had to hate. And I want to show you through the letter to the Galatian church how, how God is going to use Paul to talk about long-term transformation, to have the freedom in Christ you were created to be and to become the person you were wired to be. See, he goes on and he says in verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. He's telling them that the work that has happened to me couldn't be accredited to any human being, only to God. And that he had never even seen some of the disciples. It will be 14 years before he sees many of them. That's how long one of the greatest missionaries in world history it took for him to have radical life change. He was converted in a moment, and we'll look at, but it took a lifetime of growth. I think all of us as Christians, it can take a lifetime. Verse 21, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. So he goes away again. I was personally unknown to the church of Judea and are, that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And I want to tell you today, this next question is for me, for each of us here. And they praise God because of me. Do your enemies praise God because of you? It took time, but they got to that place because of the actual long-term transformation that happened in Paul's life. Will you pray with me? God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us this morning. But right before I walked in here, God, Donnie, uh, someone who gave their life to Christ recently and was baptized, gave me a card that their biological mom is, uh, has an extremely rare form of cancer and asked that I pray for them. And God, we don't always do that on the spot, but I just wanted to pause and beg for your help and Donnie's mom's life. God, please bring complete physical healing, long-term change be with their family, be with Donnie during this whole process. And then God, that same Holy Spirit that heals and ministers, God, we say it every week, we desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We're not the morgue to spiritually die. We're the hospital to have long-term healing. And so we pray for healing this morning, God, for those of us who have dramatic and traumatic things in our past, God, that we surrender those to you this morning and we become, not just do for you, but we become the person you can see inside of us that we could be. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Uh, do we have any people that like flowers this morning? It was recently Valentine's Day. Uh, I know very little about florists. I am not a botanist. Uh, my wife was a floral designer for seven years in Southern California. She was growing the business uh, a lot. And then the Lord called us to move to Indiana. But I learned uh, through being married to my wife a lot about flowers and floral design and all of that. And I was reading this article just recently. I don't normally read articles about flowers, but I read this article that talked about a flower that it takes 80 to 100 years to bloom. It, it grows in desert places that you could literally plant this plant that would eventually have this beautiful stalk that has all these blooms all over it. I've got the name of it. It's Puya Maya Mandi. Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't know what that means, but it is, uh, comes from South America and you can't plant it up here, but it takes 80 to 100 years to bloom. You could plant the flower and never see the bloom in your entire lifetime. 
I think we do a disservice to Christians when we tell people that you have been converted, you found Christ, you're a new creation, which we believe, I'm gonna talk about that in a moment, but that you instantly are supposed to behave and be like someone who is a mature follower of Jesus. That's just not reality. For some of you, it takes long-term development and growth, five steps forward, four steps back, three steps forward, seven steps back, 10 steps forward, right? Like it's spiritual growth and act of continual repentance and having the humility to put our pride aside and ask God to help us grow during this next season. And the struggle with that is, sometimes it means we have to do what we sang about. Did you love that song by, that Isaiah sang this morning, Wait on the Lord? I did. I've been waiting on that for months. They've been working on that. That sometimes God puts us in a season of waiting for a particular moment in time where he can really use us to make an impact. It takes 80 to 100 years for that flower to bloom, but when it does, it's magnificent. If you're here today and you've been waiting on God, sometimes it's exactly what he needs you to do. And we know that spiritual growth can take time sometimes because uh, we see it in our kids and grandkids. Parents, you know this. Uh, I just, for the first time in my life, I now am raising a teenager. And uh, Jake is somewhere here this morning. We moved here when he was a year and a half old. Having a teenager is super weird. You need to pray for me. And uh, I, you know, but one of the joys of raising a teenager, I'm also seeing him to begin to make positive changes. And you know, all teenagers, you got a ways to go, but becoming the person God designed him to be. It wasn't always like that. When he was five years old, he was in kindergarten and he was an intelligent young child who didn't always use some of that for the glory of God. In fact, when he was in uh, kindergarten, did, did anybody that grew up in school around here, you, you know the clip chart, you know what I'm talking about? I never had one of these. So like, if, if this is how parents know how you're behaving at school, basically. If, if you behave well, you clip up on the chart and you get a different color. If you behave poorly, you clip down and get a bad color. Uh, and, and you know, like red means stop. <laughs> and my son, Jake, he had been orange and red a few times in his kindergarten career. And so we had to sit down with him and say, Jake, you got to get it together. Uh, but, you know, we're great parents, just fantastic parents. So we said, let's use some positive reinforcement. Jake, if you uh, clip up rather than down, when you come home, you get to play video games. So he was really excited. He went to school for the next two weeks straight. He not only clipped up, many times clipped all the way up. Twice in a two-week period, they created a new color for him because he clipped up beyond the highest color. That's when we knew we are phenomenal parents. Wow, that was easy. Then we got an email from the teacher. Two weeks later, some of you seeing where this is going. She says, hey, I've been asking Jake how he keeps clipping up on the clip chart. He told me that the assistant teacher has been clipping him up. But I just talked to the assistant teacher and she said, that he's been telling her that I've been clipping him up. <laughs> and for two weeks, the five-year-old outsmarted the kindergarten teachers, lied to them against each other, and then secretly snuck over there and clipped himself up throughout the day just so he could play video games at home. That's when I knew I was in trouble. Now, I was not happy, as you can imagine. I also did not expect a five-year-old 
to behave like a 30-year-old, right? If you're still doing stuff like that when you're 30 years old, we got a much bigger problem. We sat him down, and one of the things I love now is beginning to see some of that growth, and there'll be things, hopefully 10 years from now, we'll see even more growth, right? That, that we see it in our children of learning to become and mature and become the people they are created to be, but spiritually speaking, our Heavenly Father makes clear repeatedly in Scripture, you are forgiven and changed in a moment, but the lifetime of following Jesus is Him making you into the person He knows you could become. And so if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to mature in your faith, I want to give you through the life of Paul just three simple ways to grow in your faith. You might say, why is this even important? You know, uh, like many years ago in the 50s, there were like three or four major evangelists. Billy Graham was one of them. By the end of their life, I believe Billy Graham was the only one of them that was still following the Lord. My mentor, Glenn Gunderson, love his name, actually uh, wrote a book about, called Fourth Quarter Fumbles, looking in the Old Testament, I believe, uh, the stories of people who fumbled spiritually in the last quarter of their life. About how we are not, you know, sprinters in the spiritual life. We are marathon runners. How many of you like running marathons? What is wrong mentally with you people? There's like kids in the back. What? Man, well, I'll tell you, I did a half marathon once and I never again, never again. I've never been in so much pain in my life. But the, that's kind of an analogy for life with God is when you're running a marathon over time, the buildup of the pain of your life, if you don't go and serve the Lord and turn to him with that pain and deal with the things from your past, you're going to eventually get really sore and tired and bitter and angry. Just look at American culture. First point, I want to grow spiritually. Paul had to deal with his past. Face your past. It's the hardest part of this whole sermon messiest part of this whole sermon. Look with me again. It said in verse 18 of chapter one, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. It took him three years to grow enough where he was ready to go back to Jerusalem and meet the people. And then going into the city where you know you harmed and imprisoned their family members, he had to trust that the Lord was going to actually take care of him in the midst of that. But he knew it was necessary for the kingdom to advance that people work together and to find healing together. And he'll go away to Syria and Cilicia again in verse 21. But he's going to have to eventually face his past in a way where all of the disciples who he once hurt or he once imprisoned their family, that all of them now come together and actually not only believe he's changed, they praise God for him, verse 24, and celebrate what the Lord is doing. That his enemies praise God for him. See, what I'm telling you today is that, that healing can take time. It's not that we need to remind people of the guilt and the shame of their past. This is very clear throughout all over Scripture. Romans 8, chapter 1, it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have made bad choices in your life, if you repent of that and you're honest with God, you confess your sins to one another, he, it's very clear he forgives us. And he doesn't see it anymore. The blood of his son Jesus is the atoning, uh, that literally means to cover over your sin and wrongdoing, that he sees the work of his son and not the, the, the guilt of your past. The one that wants you to feel guilt and shame for the rest of your life is not God, it's the enemy. 
who's here to steal, kill, and destroy, to get you to wallow in your sorrows and failures, and to just repeat this pattern of going back to the same sin issues in your life all over again, because you feel like you can't change. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. But we also have to remember Romans 8 too, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That when you live by the spirit, then sometimes he will ask you, and we'll look at this later, to do things that normal human beings wouldn't do. Like return to the town where the people that you hurt were. And yet Paul will do that. He will be obedient to what the Lord is asking him to. I'll tell you, when, when I first became a Christian, it was a pretty radical life change for me. I went from throwing the fraternity parties to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. But what I don't often talk about is when I first became a Christian, uh, as a non-emotional uh, Indiana homegrown male, I, I don't uh, cry very often. When I first became a Christian, I cried for weeks because God was just at work and I was realizing what grace, undeserved grace and forgiveness looked like. And I just was so thankful for that. And, and, and when, when you receive that grace and forgiveness, there's no condemnation anymore. We don't have to bring people's old stories up. I once had a, a young adult who had done some bad things, been in prison, uh, given his life to Christ, over the course of years began to change, became a volunteer in the young adult ministry, ended up leading a volunteer team. And I had somebody come to me and say, hey, he did this thing years ago that was really bad, he can't serve. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, it just... It, you know, he can't, he can't do this anymore. He had, he had hurt somebody physically. And I said, well, he found Christ. If we're not believing that God can change him and make him who he created to be, then what are we doing all this stuff for? And, and we believe that. We believe that God changes lives and transforms life. And, and I said, rather than getting upset with him, I'm a little frustrated with you. Because that's what the Pharisees did, right? Didn't allow people to change and taught people to live according to this legalistic plan rather than actually having a relationship with God. I'm convinced that most American Christians will never see God use them to reach their family or friends for Christ because they don't really believe that they could be radically changed by God or that God could use them to radically change someone else's life. Because we squelch stuff like that around uh, these parts, right? I want to tell you that you can become a world changer. But the other side of that coin is also that you have to actually face the things from your past. It took Paul 14 years of hard work and reconciliation and becoming who God designed him to be to then go plant the 14 churches and write 40% in the New Testament. He had to have all these other life-changing experiences. I often say that Joshua got prayed and got to see the sun stand still in Joshua chapter 10. It was amazing, amazing work of God. Imagine the sun stood still in the sky so they could win their battle. But that was not the first time that Joshua prayed. It was years of being in the wilderness for 40 years and then nine chapters of Joshua, the, the, the book, before he gets to the point that it, it God had developed his faith enough that he had saw such an incredible thing. Moses, the first time he sees the miracle of the bush, he didn't really have to do anything. But after years of following the Lord and trusting him, he has to go out to the Red Sea and trust that God's going to part, part it before Pharaoh and his army kills them. These acts of faith often build off of each other as we grow spiritually over time and become the people we were created to be. That's why so often, guys, I don't want to be the same person I was 20 years ago. 
We tell this lie sometimes when you first become a Christian, you're on fire for Christ and that's when God can use you most. No, God can use you most later as you grow in your faith and then you're still on fire for Christ. And, and I want to tell you, 20 years from now, I don't want to be like I am today. I want to see over time that some of the stuff I'm learning now that I need to change and I need to grow in and I need to repent of, I want to grow. How about you? And so I want to look to people who have gone before me to go, okay, tell me. My, my mentor, Glenn, I'm always like, you've been doing this a long time. He's been a marathon runner, not a sprinter. He, he's, he's been spiritually leading people for decades and decades and been at the church in California I came from for I think like 30 some years or something. It's like, how, okay, God, like, what does that look like? In your life, what I've seen is we can often plateau, or especially the last two years, put things on hold in our life and not go, okay, God, you're not done with me now. I want to grow some more. I'm going to learn all over again how to hear from you. We have to face the things of our past very quickly. That means, one, you got to, the old is gone. Second Corinthians 5.17, the old is gone, the new has come. Remember, you don't go into the, biblically in the Greek, this isn't you go into the cocoon as a caterpillar and come out a beautiful butterfly, because that makes sense. There's a complete metaphysical change. You went in as a caterpillar and you came out a roaring lion. <laughs> That's the type of change that people go, what in the world happened to you? The old really is gone. The new has come. You don't have to live in the guilt and the shame of your past, but you do need to learn how to confess your sins to one another and to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Which, by the way, I know sometimes we love to receive forgiveness and grace, but offering it to others undeservedly sometimes is a lot harder because somebody wronged you they did something that was bad. And look, you don't need to offer forgiveness if somebody hasn't truly repented or you know, acknowledged how they've harmed. But if there is acknowledgement, the forgiveness you're holding in your heart, the lack of forgiveness is just gonna turn to bitterness in your own life. And the enemy's gonna use it to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. Forgiving others and reconciling is a part of our faith. When, you're, when you face your past, God can finally shape your future. It took Paul three years before he went back, but we're going to see here in a second. It was really a 14-year period before he was changed enough. He went on to do the things that he, he did. Because number two, if you want to grow spiritually, take your time. See, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, the next section, it says, then after 14 years. Now, I used to think it was 3 plus 14 is 17, but I checked this. Most biblical scholars believe Paul is talking about something happening simultaneously, and that it's just one 14-year period but it's one of the two. It says, I went, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. So he goes back because God, the Holy Spirit of God tells him, go back to the place again because you haven't met everybody that you hurt and harmed. And now, 14 years after you imprisoned their family, all the bitterness and resentment they've developed, you're gonna have to deal with that. Because, look what happens here. Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to sh make sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. That he wanted to be in partnership and reconciliation with the other believers of Christ to make an impact. One of the things, I didn't say this in the other services, one of the things that often happens too in the American church world, we get hurt at one church and we go to another church and we bring that stuff with us and we never deal with the pain of our past. And the next thing you know, we're hurting other people because someone else hurt us. 
healing and restoration can take time and acknowledgement that the primary way we do that is to allow God to speak to us, to hear from us, and for us to hear from him. That, that, and uh, I want to tell you, March for a Million is coming up on March 20th. And the concept of that is that we're praying and fasting and worshiping and calling out that God would reach a million people, a million disciples for Christ in the state of Indiana by the year 2050. That's insane. But we started this years ago of believing that that our greater goal was to reach a million people for Christ. It's on our Movement Makers banner out in the hallway. And so last year, in partnership with many other churches, Multiply Indiana started March for a Million to worship and pray and fast that God would reach a million people for Christ by the year 2050. We had 72 different churches come out. We had 14 people get baptized in a horse trough, and we had uh, tens of thousands of people commit or tens of thousands of disciples committed, meaning I'm, I'm gonna disciple so many people in my life. The next one is March 20th. It's only once a year. We're gonna get serious about disciple making in the state of Indiana. You can go to marchformillion.com and register. You get a free t-shirt in the mail, so be sure and register uh, right away. But that is coming up. And the whole concept of that, our church, Mercy Road Carmel, is going to be uh, praying and fasting for 21 days leading up to March 20th. So it's about 10 days away. You'll hear a lot about that next Sunday. But prepare for that now as we get ready for March for a Million. Uh, Because for many of us, conversion happens immediately, but life change can take time. Life change can really take time. You know, and and can I be real for just a second? One of my concerns uh, in today's culture that I've seen is that what we need to do as followers of Jesus is get so serious about being devoted to the things of the Lord, spiritual discipline, studying his word, praying, fasting, worshiping, calling out to him. Oh, I got like a long time left. (laughs) Sorry, bro. (laughs) I'm not even close. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) Um, The uh, praying and fasting and worshiping. and, and, And what often happens is the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to get you busy with stuff. He'll get you to maybe veg out with hours of Netflix and video games or apps. Others will be addictive habits that he calls you into to escape this world. Other people, because you don't want to deal with the pain of your past and have long-term spiritual growth, you just get angry and bitter and isolate yourself and you hurt relationships. And we don't believe our marriages are going to get better. We don't believe our our kids are going to get better. Our grandkids are getting better. We don't believe our unchurched, non-Christian friend is going to receive Christ and have this radical life change. And we got to know that sometimes over time, anything is possible if we submit to the Lord. He has to be our firm foundation. Here's the thing I wanted to say, and this may be over the head for some of you, but I must say, I think it's important that in our culture today, I often see people talking about, yeah, but we're living in new times in the postmodern world where we need to deconstruct our faith, which nothing wrong with that. If you're actually building it back up on the things of God rooted in scripture, but this whole concept of deconstructionism is not a new concept. Nietzsche's been doing it since over a hundred years ago. Do you know 20 years ago when I was a young adult in my 20s, they were saying the exact same thing. They called it the emerging church. And at one point there, I read more books on the emerging church than there were emerging churches. 
because it became the popular thing to, to write about. And I'm telling you, because I've been there, if you're reading all of these books by all of these authors that may or may not be Christian, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with reading it. But in an Instagram world where we love to post a quote from this human being, we love to read a book by this human being, but we don't make time to read the book written by God, there is a problem. And what will happen, I'm telling you, I've seen it for 20 years. I've been tempted by it in my past that what will happen, you will start developing theologies of what you believe about God based off of what humans have said about the Bible rather than what God said in the Bible. And that's a very dangerous thing. I got off my soapbox, but I just, I want to say that because spiritual growth can take time, but what you're using to challenge you to grow spiritually matters. It must be God's word, prayer, fasting, uh, you know, the, the spiritual disciplines that God has demonstrated for thousands of years to draw us, draw us closer to him. Final thing, we have to learn to walk by the spirit. Learn to walk by the spirit. And this is the hardest part of this whole thing. Because like learning how to hear from the Holy Spirit of God that was there and hovered over the waters in the creation of the world that can speak to us in a moment of time and break through and change our lives. Like that's really hard to discern sometimes. And some of you guys are like, oh, I, that was either the Lord or really bad pizza last night. I'm not sure. And, and discernment, that's part of maturing as a Christian of learning how to hear from God and reading the Bible and seeing, okay, how has this been interpreted for 2,000 years? And then balancing that with prayer, what people that you trust as spiritual mentors in your life to discern from God what that is. That's walking by the Spirit. And Paul talks about that there are desires that want to distract us, to pull us away from walking by the Spirit. Instead, walk by our selfish desires, what he calls our fleshly desires. See, in Galate, the, church, the letter to the Galatian church, he's challenging up, up front about, hey, you don't need to live according to all these rules and regulation. And by chapter five, he says, what you need to do is live by the spirit of God. Verse uh, 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know the desires of the flesh of like sexual morality or drugs or alcohol, the things that can pull us away and be an obstacle to our life in God, but there is a whole lot of other stuff. Look what Paul writes here to the church in Galatia. He goes on, look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. These things, desires of the flesh Here's what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And if you didn't identify with at least one or many things on that list, you need to add lying to that list. Because the reality is we all can fall prey to those desires that are contrary to walking with the Spirit. And I started this talking uh, this morning about the spiritual battle we find ourselves in. The, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to keep you from hearing from God and walking with the Spirit. So when you find yourself doing some of the things on that list and going, what is wrong with me? 
God doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. He wants you to repent and be forgiven. It takes humility. You have to put your pride down. And he wants you to choose in your humility to walk with the Spirit rather than your selfish desires to pursue pleasure. As 1 John says, like the, 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 the sins of the flesh, uh, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things are the th- same things you can see tempting. As, by the way, advertisers use that to sell you things. But, but you instead being drawn to the walking with the spirit rather than the things that want to distract you. Some of you are missing out on the power and the authority that God desires in your life. That, that he doesn't just believe like we do in American Christianity. Oh, that person is so anointed. If you know Jesus and you receive the spirit, you also can be anointed by the spirit of God. It's just a different anointing, a different calling, as we said last week. And we need the whole body of Christ. No role is more important than another. Some of you will go and do way greater things for the kingdom of God than anybody who will be on a stage this morning. I've seen it for 20 years. He's going to to use you, but it's going to take this act of humility, repentance, dealing with your past, having long-term transformation and growth, letting the time pass by and learning how to hear from God and walking by the Spirit in your life. Finally, skip all the way down to verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, which, by the way, it lists a whole bunch of attributes, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, you know that list? We we wrongly, uh, mistakenly teach sometimes that there are many fruits of the Spirit. So if you're struggling with patience, you need to work on patience. You're struggling with this, work on this. That's not what that says. It, It says there's one fruit. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life, and you either have all of it or none of it. So when you don't see those positive spiritual attributes in your life, and instead you see these fleshly desires, the response isn't, I'm a bad person and I had bad behavior. We have to acknowledge that there is a source problem. There's an identity problem of why I'm behaving this way. And so I need to repent and turn back and go, the Holy Spirit isn't shining through my life the way it should. I need to get back to like praying and fasting and worshiping and and studying God's word and hearing from the Lord so that I could be filled up to be overflowing with the spirit of God in my life. That's what it looks like, the long-term spiritual growth as a Christian. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's all we ever want to do as Christians. That's all we've ever wanted to do with this church. Do you know that, that three years ago, we had this crazy idea that I wanted to plant a campus like in Fishers that as a next step because we were running out of space here and we had a bunch of people from over there. But we started praying and crying out to God. And he said, instead, raise $3 million dollars and plant churches in four different directions. I was, and I, did, I didn't instantly go, that sounds amazing. I went, we heard wrong, pray again. And he said, no, 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 like, you're gonna do this. And so we gave the, you know, we started the Compassion Campaign to raise $3 million and do all that. It seemed insane. We planted Northwest, bought a building, planted downtown, planted Northeast, bought a building. And then Anderson wasn't supposed to get a building. We got given a building. And now we're launching the Anderson Church coming up. And the Compassion Campaign, the $3 million that seemed insane, we have now raised almost exactly $2.975 million. God has provided a way where there seemed to be no way. We're only $25,000 away from completely finishing the compassion campaign. And I'm hopeful that we will finish it before Mark Johnson starts on March 6th. 
And we're asking all the family of churches to pray as we head into the season because we now own the building. The drawings are approved by the state and the city of Anderson has them on their desk. We're gonna begin the renovation really soon. We're uh, now hired a pastor who begins March 6th. He's amazing, which by the way, we waited for well over a year praying that God would provide the right person longer than we've ever waited for any position ever. And what ended up happening was every single time we would be like, this is the person. One, we even flew out. And they were like, nope, that's not what the Spirit's saying. And we just waited again. And then we reposted it again. I was like, I'm exhausted in October. And when we reposted it, it a couple of days earlier, Mark had just talked to his, the, the super, his supervisor at his church and uh, felt like the Lord was telling him to go and plant a church. And had we not posted it again and waited We've never seen what the Lord already knew, which is all this would line up at just the right time. With Mark, the building, the launch team, we have gotten more emails about the Anderson Church than any church plant we've ever done. I apologize to anybody because we have not been sending out launch team emails, been waiting on the lead pastor. But here by the middle of March, this is all gonna start happening. And so we literally have at least one, maybe two people in this church who are moving from Hamilton County to Anderson specifically to plant a church. The New Testament, the book of Acts, Paul's life changed. It doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It still happens today. The only thing preventing the Spirit of God, his fruit from being seen, is us. Because the enemy wants to stop the work of the Lord that he's doing in our lives. But we have to stop telling people that just because you messed up, that there's something wrong with you. You got to repent all over again. And then we also have to stop telling people that it's not going to take a long time to spiritually mature in a way that you could be used more by God 20 years from now than you could be used today. Because that's what happened in Paul's life is he got real with his past. We got to produce marathon runners and not just sprinters. People who see the greatest impact of their life is not a month or a year, but the longevity, not just of their lives, by the way, of their family's life, their grandchildren's life, their friends and their sphere of influence's life, the people you impacted that impacted that impacted that impacted. Because that's what God's looking at. And so we're gonna end this a little bit different this morning. I wanna talk to the Christians those of you who have given your life to Christ, you've converted to Christianity, you've surrendered to the Lord, but you don't want to plateau. You don't want to live in your past and you want to continue to become all that God created you to be. I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. God, as we close the service and we talk about huddles and, and micro churches and how we can grow long-term in our faith here, God, I, we just want to start by saying, God, help us. We know we could become more like you, Jesus. And the only thing getting in the way of that is us listening to the enemy rather than to you and your spirit. We repent of that. We pray that we would become rejuvenated in our faith, that our best, most impactful years for you are not in our past, but in our future. And that we might become the people you created us to be, Lord, as you prepare us, as we wait. And even if there's one person here that it's taken a lifetime for them to bloom spiritually with impact, God, we wait on you fully. We surrender our lives to you in this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen.